Hello, everybody. It's Defend Molyneux. I'm back. Hope you're doing well. It is the 5th of August, 2012. Sorry for a couple of weeks of not being around, but we did, um, the family did Freedom Fest, where I did a bunch of interviews and spoke and met a bunch of great people. Um, David Thoreau from the Independent Institute, Jeffrey Tucker, of course, Bob Murphy, the ever great Bob Murphy, and um, did a TV interview, a couple of other interviews. So it was a really productive trip. And again, thank you so much to the supporters who have propelled me there. Yay. Like a very circus clown confetti cannon. And then we drove up the West Coast and I had dinner with Peter Bogosian, the professor of philosophy from Portland. Uh, and we discussed a variety of things, which is very productive, continued on my way. And we went to... The Capitalism and Morality Seminar, which was a full-day seminar, being held in Vancouver with some great speakers. Some great speakers. Uh, me. <laughs> oh, let's just throw aside the modesty. I think I did two great speeches. I had two hours. I did um, uh, A History of Ethics, and I did UPB and with audience participation and um, lots, of, uh, lots of fun stuff, uh, very good speeches, I think. And thanks again uh, for the invitation to speak. Yeah, so it's Doug Casey, I think David Galland, Walter Block. Got to meet Walter Block. That was very interesting. We had a few back and forths, which were exciting. And um, uh, it was actually it was nice to meet him. <laughs> nice to meet him. Disagreements to me are a healthy part of any intellectual movement. I think that we can try to stay away from some of the personal attacks. Not that I'm accusing dear Dr. Block of that, but uh, I think disagreements are always healthy. Nobody, of course, has a monopoly on truth except Jesus, and he's not answering. So um, a, a bunch of other uh, great speakers uh, as well. Rick Rule uh, spoke, and just just great stuff. It was a really enjoyable day, and uh, it, it'll be going on again next year. And, I mean, it was a real honor to be uh, the, the keynote speaker, and um, I worked really hard on the speech, and when it's ready... Uh, we will post it, and I hope you like it. Other news, uh, the first three minutes of the documentary are done, and it, it's in full-on mode now. Uh, I have hired two animators to work on it, and um, very. this is one animator, at least, of which I've worked before, with before, who's a real pleasure to work with. So uh, everything's lined up now, and the bull is out of the gate, and it is ready to roll. So if you'd like to help out, not the cheapest thing in the world to make a documentary, if you'd like to help out, of course freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. Uh, a plug for Lorette Lynn's great book. I'd like to uh, uh, mention that, uh, Lorette Lynn's book. Don't Do Drugs, Stay Out of School, uh, which is available at unpluggedmom.com. Check it out. It's a really good book. Well-written, passionately argued, and uh, worth your time. So, so anyway, that's it. That's, sorry that there was a couple of Sunday shows missed, but I was fairly incoherent. Uh, you know, I, if I don't get my, you know, 16 and a half hours of beauty sleep, I am pretty much a squash turtle with a runaway truck. At least that's how my brain feels. So thank you for your patience. Uh, I know we've got lots of callers today. Oh, and also uh, thanks again to the Peter Schiff show for having me on. Uh, obviously they had run out of their list completely and went to their backup backup list, but I'm still honored and always pleased to do those. I did a couple of those shows while I was on the road. And uh, it was a real, real pleasure. So let's get on to the callers. I am happy to be back, overjoyed to be chatting with you, and I am all ears. First up, 
we have somebody who comes calls himself Austrian economics. <laughs> I've read a lot about you. How uh, are you? Uh, hello. Can you hear me? I sure can. Okay. My question is basically, I've already accepted that taxation is immoral, and of course, government's immoral because it uses the initiation of force and uh, attempts to solve social problems through violence. However, though, since property rights is valid, then if the government owns the land, then isn't taxation granted morally acceptable? And isn't all the initiation of force acceptable? And then how does being born on that property play into that part? Those are some seriously great questions, and uh, I really respect you for bringing those up. So let's, let's go back to the government owns the land. So what do you mean by the government in that? Because, you know, the government means lots of things oh, to yeah, lots well, of people. Obviously, obviously the, government, the government doesn't physically exist. It's just a term such as, as you already pointed out in some of your podcasts, a forest doesn't exist. It only exists in a sense that trees exist. So those individuals exist, I guess. Is it really? Sorry, it only exists in the sense that a forest exists, just to be annoyingly <laughs> precise, uh, because trees <laughs> are actually bound together. They're phys- like People always ask me, like, well, you say that a forest doesn't exist, only the trees, but the tree isn't that a metaphor as well. Well, the difference also, the, the tree is actually a living organism that's physically connected, that has a physical integrity, whereas a forest is, is, is really a concept. Uh, anyway, so, uh, yes, okay, so the government doesn't exist, so... Uh, what you're saying then, so if we were to put this in more philosophical terms, when you say the government owns everything in a geographical area, uh-huh. what does that mean morally? Um, I guess it would mean that... Uh, oh, you thought you were going to get some answers, didn't you? <laughs> no, it's question time. I've given enough answers now. I'm all out of answers. I only have questions now. But okay, so let's, let's try that philosophically. Does it mean that just, just individuals own that land? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm not trying. I'm asking you questions. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, so if the government doesn't exist, then there's a group of individuals who are claiming ownership of all the land, right? Yes, yes. And and how do they do that? How do they establish that claim morally? Um. Well, well I guess in in because in- I could do that, right? I could say. I own your kidney. I have a rusty spoon and some chloroform. I'm going to get what's rightfully mine, right? True, but but then how would you how would you claim ownership? I mean, you talk about self ownership, the effects of one actions, but I guess since they conquered the, I guess I guess the U.S. in in that case doesn't have actual ownership or or valid ownership. But how would you claim valid ownership? Hmm. Well, those are two questions, right? The first thing we're, we're asking is, does the government own everything? Then it's a sort of related question. How do you establish ownership? But I think we can say, if we take a UPB, like universally preferable behavior, so if we say that all our rules have to be universal, clearly to, for, for one individual to arbitrarily claim ownership over everything doesn't conform to UPB. Like, it can't be universalized. Because whatever you say for one person, you have to say for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so if you say, well, me, I, Steph, I get to, I get to claim universal ownership of everything, uh-huh. then everyone gets to do that, right? So I say, well, I own Wyoming. And you say, well, I own Wyoming. And we both have, and every person in the world has a legitimate claim to Wyoming. But that doesn't work, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and the reasons why it doesn't work sort of logically, uh, the reason why it doesn't work empirically, we can, anyway. So it's not moral or valid or true to say an individual 
can assert arbitrary ownership over a wide area of land. Yeah, yeah, but but how do you define a wide area of land? And that's that's basically you know where the boundary. Well, it doesn't. Sorry, that's just within the country thing. It actually UPB doesn't matter whether you say it's a square inch or ten thousand square miles. Okay. I don't get to just say I own stuff. Ah. Uh-huh. Right, because if I get to say it, everyone gets to say it, and then everyone has ownership, and then you can say, Steph, I own your kidney, your brain. There'd be no such thing as rape, because I could say to the woman, listen, I own your vagina. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we all understand that, that this, this arbitrary I own stuff doesn't work, can't be, can't be valid, can't be moral. And so to say that one person can't arbitrarily say I own stuff, well, it doesn't matter if you have one person or ten people. You know, if you have one frog or ten frogs, they're all still frogs. It's not like if you add more frogs, they suddenly become mammals, right? Or some of them become mammals. They're all just frogs. And so if I don't have the right to arbitrarily own stuff or claim ownership, then ten people, a thousand people, a million people, the majority, the majority, everyone minus one person does not have that right. So the government cannot own everything and therefore charge rent because you can't universalize the arbitrary claim of valid ownership for everyone over everything. Does that make sense? That makes sense. I'm, I just maybe I'm not. I'm definitely not getting something. I just I feel like so. You're saying that that group of individuals can't can't own any everything. Therefore, and if they and if they could, then that have to be universally. Uh, applicable, which it isn't, but... Well, so then the government would say, I own your house. I mean, that's what the government does say, right? Exactly. The government says, I own your house and you have to pay me property tax as a rent, right? Mm-hmm. In order for you to continue living in the house that you bought, you have to pay me off. That's ownership, right? Yes. But, it, okay, first of all, how can a bunch of strangers and me legitimately own something? Ownership tends to accrue, I mean, unless you're talking about a corporation, it tends to accrue to you know, an individual or to like, whoever's contractually. And of course, if I'm paying for it, how do you get to assert arbitrary stuff? Now, the other thing, of course, is that if everyone gets to say, I own your house, so you owe me rent. I'll call it property taxes, but you owe me rent because I own your house, baby. Well, I can then say, okay, well, you're charging me $3,000 a year in property taxes, so I own the Houses of Parliament, I own Congress, and I own my congressman's house, and so he's got to pay me $3,000 back to, to his rent for what I arbitrarily claim ownership over. Do you see, once you universalize it, it cancels out. It's like taxation. If we all have the right to send bills to other people without any contractual obligation or without any contract on their part, then everyone can do it. And the government comes and says, you owe me $20,000 in income tax. They say, okay, you owe me $20,000 in income tax because everyone gets the right to impose arbitrary contracts on everyone else. So it doesn't work, it doesn't work right? Yeah, it doesn't government work. Government only works if the moral rules are universal and then broken. <laughs> I mean, they, they, if they claim to be universal, in other words, they're moral rules, and then they're broken. So uh, prop, like property taxes, the sales taxes, and so on, you can't uh, you can't morally justify it. They cannot be morally sustained in any rational way. So, so is the difference? So, so, say you have two different examples: one where you're buying a plot of land, 
and it has people on it, or and and in the other example, you're buying a plot of land with without people on it. If you're buying a plot of land without people on it, that that can be morally applicable because you're you're spending you're spending your money. Say it's, say it's a valid agreement, so then you validly own that. But if there's say you own a park and there's and there's people on it though, when you when you buy it, just as in the case of the government, say if they bought a country, so that wouldn't be moral. Well, wait a sec. How could the government buy a country? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I guess. No, really. Let's go back to this, right? Because remember, remember, the government has no money. Oh, true. Yeah. Only, right? only the only way the government can can put a bid on anything is because it steals, prints, or borrows. But they're all three sides of the same theft, right? Because the government steals stuff, it can buy stuff. But that doesn't make that purchase morally legitimate, right? Like, so if I steal a hundred dollars from you. And I go buy an MP3 player with it. That MP3 player is not mine. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, and and also that works in the case of if they conquered a, a country and murder was involved, and that's not a valid ownership because they they didn't claim it morally. Well, that's true. But one step further, how did they pay the soldiers to go conquer this army, to go conquer this country? Sorry. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. They paid the soldiers by stealing or borrowing or printing. Oh yeah, true. Okay. That that really answers my question now. Now I understand. I like I like that note of surprise in your voice. Hey, you know, that really does. I like that. Like, yeah, well, I just was expecting a long-winded rant about nothing in particular. But hey, you actually hit a bullseye. That's shocking. You know, if you shoot an arrow over a house every now and then, you hit a bullseye. And yeah, I like to think that I have you know maybe slightly better odds than that. Does this so that helps? Yeah, yeah, that really helps because I mean I I was stumped and I was questioning everything. You know everything. You know in the realm of anarcho-capitalism, and now, now, now sure. it's all Well, listen, here, here's the trick, right? This, this, is, this is the trick. I will give you a special intellectual philosophy circus trick. You know, one of the criticisms that atheists have of religious people is this issue called, you probably heard of this word, anthropomorphizing, right? Uh, I'm not- right, so, so anthropomorphizing is when you project your own characteristics onto something which doesn't have those characteristics. Uh-huh. Right? So, so I live and die, and therefore the universe lives and dies. I was born of a father and mother, and therefore the universe was born of a father or a mother or both or whatever. Um, I have a teddy bear that I really love, although it is, of course, just stuffing, but I project all of these right things, things onto it. Anthropomorphizing is when you project human characteristics onto non-human objects. Like you've probably heard the phrase Mother Nature. Uh, mm-hmm. Gaia. You know, yeah. this, is, this is anthropomorphizing because nature is not a mother. <laughs> She's not our mother. Uh, and, so, and so what happens is we ascribe human characteristics to non-human things. And it's, it's constant. We do this all the time. And this, I mean, it's fine. You just have to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. And so in the realm of the universe, human beings exist and someone had to create us, right? I mean, you know, we didn't just pop out of a test tube because lightning, you know, struck Marty McFly, right? And so we exist and someone had to have created us. And so what happens is we think, well, human beings as a whole exist and therefore someone had to have created us. A god breathed life into dust and and he created us, right? But just because you and I were created by 
to individuals doesn't mean that all human beings were created by an individual or group of individuals who were gods. I mean, it's just, you know, we evolved from whatever, but the idea that we take the way that we exist and then we project that onto the world. And it's a cause of many, many fundamental mistakes that people make. And they're very obvious mistakes once you understand this issue of anthropomorphizing. So the reason I'm talking about all of this is because it is a grave error. It is a dangerous error to imagine that the government has the characteristics of an individual. The government does not have the characteristics of an individual. Because you said, well, if the government owns this or the government buys this, well, individuals can own and buy. True, yeah. Collectives can't. I mean, again, corporatism, blah, 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 that's, that's another state monstrosity, so let's just put that aside for the moment. But if we mistake the state for a human being and we ascribe human characteristics to this concept, then we have made a fundamental error. Mm-hmm. And it's a dangerous error because then what we do is we forget that the, uh, what the state is. We anthropomorphize the state. The state is here to help, to protect you, to, you know, it, it charges you taxes in return for services. Well, that's kind of mistaking the state for a, 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 a company or a, a private organization that's going to give you, you know, it's, it, you know you, the government provides you all this stuff. This is Barack Obama's recent thing, right? The government provides you all of this stuff, and therefore you owe the government back. Well, this is, that's, that's treating the government like your parents. Well, your parents paid for you, and they raised you, and they invested in you, and this, and so you owe them, you know, allegiance, respect, and so on, and care. Exactly, when but, they but get it's not old. about a voluntary relationship because you're forced to pay, even if you even if you choose not to. Yeah, I mean, the issue of the essence of force is what is always removed. It's still because present, it, it, you know, it, even though people it's it's still present. Yeah, in fact, it's even more present because it's not talked about because it can only grow because it's not talked about. And so, and again, I'm not picking on you, because I, I find myself doing this all the time, too. So I, this is something I have to remind myself all the time. When you say the government buys a country or whatever, well, that's making it sound like there's someone on eBay, you know, bidding on a Britney Spears collection. Mm. But the government doesn't have any money. The government stole all its money. The government can't buy another country because the other government can only sell the country because it pretends it has ownership over it, which it doesn't. And one government would only buy another government for the same reason that one farmer would buy another farm. It's because the tax cows will provide lots of money, and therefore it's a decent investment. But it is not a person. It is not an economic actor, fundamentally. And I can already hear the thousands of emails pouring into my inbox where you're saying, what do you mean the government is an economic actor? It has huge effects on the economy. Well, yes, but a rapist is not a romantic actor. <laughs> to me, economics is voluntary. It's only economics if it's voluntary. In the same way, it's only lovemaking if it's voluntary, if it's not rape. Yeah, uh, Rothbard It's only charity if it's not stolen. Sorry? Rothbard talks about how an exchange isn't really an exchange. If it's, if it's forced, such as slavery, you're not benefiting from the exchange. But if it's voluntary, then you're benefiting from it. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. So... Uh, so it's really important not to apply economic terms to what the government does. Mm-hmm. Because that's like applying romantic terms to a rapist or charitable terms to 
a thief. Uh-huh. Right. So, so if some mugger sticks a gun in my ribs and says, you know, give me your wallet and I give him my wallet and then you were to say, well, Steph was very nice. He donated. He <laughs> donated his whole wallet. He gave his whole wallet to a guy in an alley. He'd never even met this guy before. <laughs> I mean, and he was so excited to give this guy his wallet. His hands were shaking. He was sweating. He <laughs> peed himself a little bit. That's how excited Steph was to give this, this poor young man his wallet. Well, you would be like, <laughs> if you told that story... And, and people knew what had actually happened. People would say, what? <laughs> Are you crazy? That's kind of an insult. It's a huge insult to, to, to misrepresent the situation in that way. And again, I'm not accusing you or picking you. I'm just pointing this out, right? Uh-huh. You, you want to make sure that you don't use economic terms for what the government does. The government buys. The government rents. The government borrows. The government prints. Well, the gov- and I've, I use it too, right? The government counterfeits. The government steals. The government is violence. And we need to reserve the economic terms for economic actions. And actions are only economic if they're voluntary. Otherwise, it is in the realm of criminal behavior. And you can apply economics to criminal behavior. I understand that, right? You, you mean people have done entire economic analyses of, of the drug trade. Uh, I think it's in um, Freakonomics. Uh, yeah, it's in Freakonomics. It's a whole economic. And, and you can do an economic analysis of, well, if the government you know, does all the stimulus and so on. But and this is I'm just working on this now, so this is not you know, people will quote me back where I've used tons of economic examples with the government. But I'm really working on my language set to make sure that I don't use economics terms with the government because it is to completely blur the violence. And we have to have different words for rape and romance. If we don't, I think we're really missing something central. Sorry for that long rant. Does that does that sort of make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the government doesn't borrow, right? The government forcibly sells off the profits of its livestock. Exactly. Right? And it's, uh, you know, in your argument from morality, basically, when you use the term the government, people unconsciously think that the government isn't people and that different moral actions apply to the government. But really, they're just people. And uh, yes. for it to be consistent, you know, they have to have, they have, to have the same moral restrictions as, as, as human beings. Right. And if they have the same moral restrictions as human beings, they're not a government anymore. Exactly. It's like saying, well, if the mafia obeys the law, well, if the mafia obeys the law, (laughs) it's not the mafia. (laughs) It's not the mafia anymore. Anyway, does uh, does that help? I I really wanted to be not too annoyingly uh, annoyingly over-explanatory, but but I really wanted to make that distinction. What I got from that was that, you know, the government government can't claim ownership when it's, when basically, because basically, I'm using the government again, but because uh, the only they don't have money, they they only steal to to obtain money. So therefore, the ownership is invalid. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Somebody whose opinion I respect uh, has um, uh, says economics. He says economics has a subset that is about the effects of compulsory action on voluntary interactions. Yeah. I mean. So if um, I mean the the. Um, the issue that, that inflation is always and forever a monetary phenomenon is, is a study of the effects of government, violent government, monopoly, central bank, printing of currency and its effects on the economy. Uh, and to me, I would say that is the effects of it, the economy, uh, that is the effects of crime on the economy. Uh, and I think we really need to distinguish between uh, moral, voluntary, peaceful, free trade, free market interactions 
and compulsory, violent, destructive, win-lose uh, interactions. It's certainly not trade, right? It, it, paying taxes is not trade. I mean, you could say, I guess, that you're trading your freedom, <laughs> but that's not, I mean, it's not, not really, um, uh, it's not really valid to call it trade. Um, and I, I would like, I mean, I would really like it, any, what is an economist, I'm going to care what I like, of course, right? But what I would really like is for economists to say, what we study, the only thing we can study is voluntarism. And we can study the effects of violence, but let's not call that you know, economics, right? Let's, you know, it's like a doctor can study the effects of smoking, but he wouldn't call it health, right? <laughs> so anyway, I just want to mention that, but uh, uh, that's obviously debatable. But yeah, make sure we don't mistake the government for a person and uh, don't uh, don't ever miss the reality of the coercion that's involved. Anyway, we move on to another caller, but thank you so much. You're welcome anytime. It's a great, great question. Yes, well, but one second. Do you think... Um if I sure. stayed on till the till the end, do you think I'd be able to? If if someone was after everyone goes and and you guys are waiting for another caller, could I ask another question? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Let, let's try it now, and, and we'll keep it real quick. Oh, hopefully. Okay. Uh, basically, uh, first, do you uh, do you have the same theory of dispute resolution organizations as you did in, in your beginning pod podcast? You haven't changed it at all, have you? I don't think so. I mean, there's been a few adjustments. Uh, you know, I, I made the claim back in the day that no nuclear power had been threatened with invasion because of my waspy Eurocentric bias. I completely missed Israel. So that's a <laughs> completely valid correction. Uh, and um, as somebody else, I think I had pointed out that Switzerland had not been involved in a war since for 800 years, and somebody pointed out that at the end of the 18th century, Switzerland had been invaded. Uh, and when I said had not been involved, and I mean had not initiated war, you're not involved in a crime if you're robbed. You know, you're a victim of a crime. Anyway, so, uh, but in general, the, I think the theory holds and is, uh, is sound. Uh, and again, just with the caveat that that's a possible way. I mean, there's no way any individual can substitute judgment for uh, his or her judgment for the collective genius of everybody in a free market. But I think they would be a, it would be a good approach. Uh, why, uh, did you have a question about the, the DRT? Yeah, yeah. Well, basically, after, after listening to that, a couple of those podcasts, I had the idea, which maybe I just took it wrong, that a DROs are, are, are quasi-insurance companies that would also provide security and other services, but but now I realize that you I think they should just be I think uh, it, it, they'd only be realistic if they were only courts instead of providing security because no one would no one would want a DRO if it provided other services such as security possibly some people would but it wouldn't be profitable because as a business they would want to hire they wouldn't want to create their own. Uh, they wouldn't want to have their own workers. They would hire other different companies to do the job for them, outsource it, and then pay and then charge you more. And, and if that's oh, so sorry. Let me just make sure. So let's say I uh, I hire a DRO to insure me from theft, and that DRO also runs a court system that if I get stolen from, I use, and therefore they have an incentive to have me be stolen yeah. from because then I will use their court system. Is yes. that right? Yeah. Well, let's pretend that I'm a customer who's asking you that question. You're like, you know, Joe Sixpack, uh, you know, chiclet smile, uh, and you're trying to sell me your DRO services. And I say, well, dude, I mean, come on. Uh, you, you're just going to have me get stolen from so that I end up using a court system. Uh, what would you say? Uh, if you were the, 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 the CEO and the investors were asking this question, how are you going to solve this problem? What would you say? 
honestly, honestly, I wouldn't be sure. <laughs> well, I tell you what I would say. I would say uh, court system is free. Because if you have to go to a court system, it's because we have failed to protect you from theft. And so if we failed, you shouldn't pay. So oh, okay. this is how you know we have no incentive to have you use our court system. In fact, we have every incentive to have you not use our court system because we have to pay for the cost of that court system and you don't pay a, 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 red, a red penny. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So, but uh, but in my in, in my theory of DROs, I think that instead of the DROs, because you you said that if you if you don't choose to have a DRO or if you drop your DRO automatically or not automatically, you would get put into a database where where you would where you would be you know uh, on a surveillance for being a theft. You post a question. That. Sorry, we've just got somebody else uh, in on the line. James, can yeah. you? Camp that down. Yes. Yeah. So, so I don't know if that's from your end of you, uh, and No, I, I got it. Yeah, I understand. I, I so you, you, if you if you drop all forms of insurance, uh, then that's probably a red flag that something not good is going to happen, right? Well, well, what I what I was trying to say is that you said if, if you yeah that'd be a red flag for someone to commit theft, you know, under under the table deal like that. But why would DROs have databases? Wouldn't it be? Uh, more wouldn't it be better if, if just individual businesses such as the grocery store had its own database that it would share because that would be more profitable to share thieves and, and such instead of the DROs mandating that because I feel like it, it kind of imposes some sort of uh, so, some sort of uh, infringement on my freedom if I have to get a DRO but in my theory you don't have to get a DRO businesses will protect themselves with their own databases that they'll share instead of DROs only mandating that Okay, so how, tell me how the the, the uh, grocery store DRO would work, or how the grocery store database well, would work. How would what? I mean, what would obviously, happen? like like in one of your speeches, you said you can't totally predict the future, but but I would have it as if instead of so you don't have to get a DRO because in in I believe and correct me if I'm wrong in that pod, in that podcast, if you drop your DRO or don't get one, then you'll be socially ostracized because that that they can assume that you'll commit theft. So you wouldn't have to get a DRO. You could choose to choose to do that or not, and companies could choose to sell the th thieves or, or murders, whether that would be profitable for them or not. Probably not. But the, I would imagine that the grocery store would have its own database that it would share with other would share with other businesses because that's more profitable. If if you're Walmart, I think they have a lot against this. But if you're Walmart and uh, and you have thieves coming in and and, and take stealing the things. You're gonna to want to share your list with Macy's to make your list more broad and there and therefore protect yourself more against these threats as a business. Well, yeah, you certainly could. Uh, you certainly could, and this this to me fundamentally would be an economic argument, though. So, would it be profitable for every store to have their own database? Well, no, because that's a lot of technical expertise, a lot of servers, a lot of security. Someone gets hacked. I mean, that's just not good, right? So people would probably want to offsource this to the cheapest possible method. Um, but who knows? You know, maybe it would be distributed. Maybe it wouldn't. But uh, the other thing, too, is that, remember, you can um, – again, if I were competing in the DRO business provision market, what I would say is I will, <laughs> I will make sure that after 15 years, I will cover you for free. Mm-hmm. 
right? And this is how this is how life insurance works, right? So life insurance, they take your money, uh, they invest it, or they do whatever, right? And then after you know fifteen or twenty years, you don't have to pay your premiums anymore, but you're still insured. Uh, and so, uh, so if you didn't want to pay for a DRO, the best thing to do would be to live an honorable, decent life where you didn't cheat, steal, rob, whatever, right? And then you would end up with a DRO for free. And obviously, that's not <laughs> that is not an incursion in your liberty to have someone who's willing to go to the to go to bat for you no matter what uh, and resolve disputes for free. That's not an infringement on your on your liberty. And so if you wanted to, quote, get out of the DRO system, then you would just live a good, decent life, and then you would be insurable for the rest of your life for free. I mean, that's how I would sort of work it, um, you know, based on the predictor that the best predictor of future behavior is, is past behavior. And if someone's been honorable for 15 years or whatever, then they're not doing that just so they can go knock over a liquor store at 15 years in one day. Oh. <laughs> right? So uh, so, so there's, there's tons of ways. That, and, and, of course, people's concerns about – infringements on their freedoms would be uh, addressed, would have to be addressed by DROs. So DROs would want to be as invisible and as cheap and as effective as, as possible and to have way more prevention than, than cure and so on. And so they would be constantly striving to be less intrusive, less bothersome. And, you know, who knows where technology will be in exactly. 50 or 100 years. Uh, and so it will be, to me, um, that the market will... Drive the other thing too, you know. The other thing that's 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 true. Uh, I've mentioned this in a, a couple of places, but I might as well centralize it here. Is that when human society is populated by pe by people who were raised peacefully as children? I mean, the question is, will you ever even really need a DRO in two hundred years? I I consider it quite unlikely, because uh, people who are raised children who are raised peacefully. Uh, and non-violently in, in a non-aggressive environment, don't become criminals, don't become cheaters, don't become rapists, don't become murderers, don't become politicians, don't become fraud artists, don't become drug addicts, don't become blah, 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 blah. And so the prevalence of these, uh, of the, in the 14th century, everybody had religious mania, right? I mean, they were all insane. I mean, you had entire villages uh, in, in the Middle Ages that would become so crazed with religiosity, they would dance themselves to death. They would dance until they all died. I mean, so everybody in the 14th century had religious mania. And so you'd say, well, see, how would we deal with religious mania in the 21st century? Well, um, certainly in Europe, you don't really have to deal with religious mania anymore. I mean, there's a few there and so on, right? But, but it's not really uh, that big a deal. And so will you need massive layers of bureaucracy to protect yourself from endless waves of violence when scientifically it is very well established that if you're raised peacefully and positively, you do not become violent? Well, I think that we won't need to solve this anymore. Uh, I think that people will probably be able to sail through lives. Maybe they won't need a DRO or maybe a DRO would cost them a dollar a year. Or something like mm -hmm. that, just because there's so few yeah, yeah. of these the kinds of in that incidents that recur. Yeah, yeah, oh, if DROs do offer other services, not just not just the court service, where where they would be able to dispute resolutions, even though you know point point zero one percent would would be in that realm, then and if they provided other services and they outsourced to other jobs, they would they would charge people other money, and then people people wouldn't they, it wouldn't be a profitable choice for them. So I don't see why people would have DROs if 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 by definition DROs offer other services such as security 
where they have to outsource for for workers or or you know if they have fire well, but the, but you remember see but you remember that the DRO will simply be a reflection of marketplace designers. That's why it's really hard to say what a DRO. First of all, we're talking about what's technically possible in a hundred years, and imagine trying to try and trying to picture what's technically possible before World War One. Exactly. We just wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. So you know, DROs aren't going to be around for probably a hundred years, and so who knows what's going to be technically possible? And designing the future is really difficult. But what we do know is that if a lot of people have concerns about bundled DRO services, those DRO services will magically become unbundled, yeah. right? <laughs> because DROs want to keep selling to people. And if people have concerns about DROs with conflicts of interest, then the DROs will have to prove that they don't have conflicts of interest in order to get people's business. And they will constantly be changing uh, and adapting, right? So one of the things that has happened is uh, is that uh, criminality has gone down quite significantly, violent crime. Uh, and so in order to maintain the need for the state, you have to invent a drug war to backfill all of the missing criminals that have vanished because a lot of, uh, you know, some kids are being raised a lot better. You don't get beaten up in schools as much by the teachers anymore. And so you have to invent a war on drugs in order to continue manufacturing the criminals to have people need the state and to keep the prison industrial complex going and so on. Uh, whereas this is not the case in the free market. In the free market, if criminality goes down, the first thing that DRO do, the DROs will do is fire a bunch of enforcers and lower their rates. And they will, of course, encourage people to adopt best practices as parents so that there will be fewer criminals and so on. So, uh, so that's, I mean, that's something that's important to understand. It's, it's very, very different from what happens with the state. The state has a need to, to frighten people, to take their money, to keep us all fighting with each other rather than banding together. And so whenever the reasons that drive people's anxiety diminish, then the government will supply new ones, which is why you have, uh, you know, the, the, um, the, the Great Depression followed by the Second World War, followed by the Cold War, uh, followed by environmental scares, followed by the war on terror, followed by now we've got debt crises, of, uh, all these kinds of things. These are just con continual panics, panic room situations. Uh, but that's the very opposite of what a DRO will, uh, will be doing. Uh, the DRO will be trying to get rid of crime and will be diminishing itself thereby because any ones which don't do that will end up charging more than exactly the same services provided by someone else. So they will, as, as violence shrinks, DROs will shrink. That's basically what I'm yeah. saying. And as, but as violence shrinks, the state expands because it provokes more and more violence uh, in its activities to keep people uh, at the same level of fear and dependence. Uh, yeah, yeah. That helps me. I mean, the big thing that, that basically, I think I came to a self-realization through the discussion of that, because you helped me, but is that I, I'm thinking of it as a government where a DRO is voluntary and the free market is going to drive drive it. And whatever the consumer wants, the producer will will make. So, so it basically depends on whatever the consumers want. It's not, it's not the set standard where people are forced to get it. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, well, these people now have to keep a database on you, yeah. too bad. It's like, well, no, because if there's significant problems with people being in a database, then somebody will find a way for people to not be in a database. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that's, it was really helpful for me. I hope it was helpful, helpful for uh, other people. Oh, I'm sure it was. Thanks. That was a great okay, question. Okay, see you. All right. All right, sorry about that. Hope you're a little long, but thank you for your patience. Let's move on. All right, next up we'll have Jeremy. All right. Um, I was talking with uh, somebody, and we were trying to determine if there was, if it was 
aesthetically unpreferable or um, neutral, or if it was a, a question of UPB, um, for a person to inform authorities or you know uh, defense firms or something, of, of, you know, make take action to provide information that they have about a criminal. Um, let's say, for example, if uh, you are an apartment complex owner and you're aware that the one of your tenants is a thief and has stolen goods and is storing them on your property, um, if you fail to provide this information, have you committed a prosecutable offense? That's fascinating. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, what did you guys think about it? Um, well, the big thing that uh, caused it to really get into an uproar was when I suggested that um, a rape victim who does have the information of who their rapist was and has the ability to convey that information, um, who does not do so, is committing, in my opinion, uh, an act that is Leading, you know, potentially leading to the further rape of other people. Um, so when, when we applied it to rapists, um, it really kind of got into a heated debate where um, I was suggesting, well, maybe we are looking at, you know, their response was, you can't attack the victim. Um, and I get that. You know, it's always a, it's always a, a hard thing to imagine um, cr being critical of a rape victim. However, sometimes rape victims have done things that should, can be, uh, you know, criti be criticized for. Um. Right. Okay. So if somebody is, is raped and they don't report it, then the guy obviously will continue. And if, if unless this is the very first rape, which is probably not the case, that that person only gets raped because the previous victim didn't report and so on. Right. If the uh, let's say some let's just say take the traditional a woman gets raped and she does not report the rape, then the rapist obviously is not going to face repercussions and is going to go on and rape again. And assuming it's not the the first rape that the man has ever committed, then it's reasonable to say that she only got raped because his previous victim didn't report the uh, the facts. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> right. Right. And yeah, no, that's that's a very interesting question because if you do not report a crime, to what degree are you contributing to the repeat uh, repeat of that crime? Right, and are you basically you know culpable in some fashion? Is the question? Well, there's no doubt that you're culpable in some fashion because you are um, you are partially causal in the repetition of the crime. Yeah, I for the, for the simple reason that if you don't report a rape, let's just take the existing system. If you don't report a rape then the guy is not going to end up behind bars. Right. And therefore, he's free to continue his, his raping thing, right? Correct. However, of course, you're not the rapist, right? Right. So you don't have the same so, responsibility. But, right. But, you know, the getaway so, car ahead. driver is not necessarily the person who robs the bank, but they are facilitating the escape of the, of the criminal. Well, that's true, but it's a different situation because uh, let's say that the car driver is taken hostage. Like he's a cabbie with a gun to his head. Oh, we would not hold him morally responsible. Right. Whereas a, a, a victim of rape is coerced, whereas a getaway driver is not, uh, is not coerced, right? Um, I suppose that 
let's say the uh, the rape victim has been threatened that you know if you tell anyone I will come back and kill you, is that now? Well, yeah, that that to me would be a very different a yeah. very different situation. Um, that would be a very different situation. So, uh, and, and of course, uh, that would be the most common thing to say if the man was in a fear, fearful. So, so here's another example, right? So this just Sandusky trial, right? This, I think he was just recently convicted of several counts of, of child rape. And, uh, there were people who had witnessed this and, and knew about these, uh, these rapes for uh, many years beforehand. Are they, are they morally responsible for rapes? Well, yeah. Right. So let, we'll start with something easier, like a witness rather than a victim. Yeah. Right, so if you witnessed this monster raping children and you didn't do anything about it, well, yes, you're damn well responsible. Right. Um, and so, uh, I mean, you know, you're not the only person responsible, and you're not the actual rapist, but it's it's pretty heinous. I have no idea how these people live with themselves, but that's a question for another time. You're guilty of something. So, it's not necessarily a rape, but you're guilty of something. Yeah, well, you're you're partly guilty. Look, obviously, a repeated rapist can't stop himself. If he could stop himself, he would confess, he would get treatment, he'd cut his balls off, he'd do something, right? So he can't stop himself. And that doesn't mean that he's not morally responsible. I mean, a drunk driver is a bad driver, but is responsible for getting drunk. But clearly, a repeat rapist can't stop himself. And so if you have witnessed this, uh, these kinds of actions, and that, then you are... The only person in that equation with any real power to stop it. So reporting is it's essentially potentially a, a positive obligation that uh, we would have as UPB? Well, look, clearly it's UPB. Uh, I mean, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, it, it is UPB insofar as what if your child was next? Well, yeah, um, would you want that reported? Would you want everyone like what if what if somebody was preying on your child at school? What if somebody was raping yeah. your child uh, at a daycare? Would you want somebody to report that? Well, of course you would. Absolutely. And but, so it's definitely and and if we um, if we are going to apply violent sanctions to this, in other words, if we would be comfortable punishing someone using force. Oh, not comfortable, but if it could be justified to punish someone using force, then it's UPB because UPB governs. Right. Um, so UPB we, and ethics governs force, right? So, so, go ahead. Uh, we would basically sanction the um, potential use of violence or force against the person who did not uh, report. Right. So, would we throw them in jail? Would we fine them? Would we apply some sanction to them that did not require their voluntary cooperation? Anything other than just. Uh, Ostracism, ostracism, or, and publishing, publicizing their name, and so on. Um, but we would actually. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big one. I don't think that we're one percent of the way of testing the power of ostracism in society. Um, so that's that's a whole, a whole other issue. Um, on the other hand, ostracism or bad behavior doesn't seem to have much repercussions on the long right. Elliot Spitzer has a TV show. Bill Clinton is speaking, I think, at the next Democratic, uh, Democratic uh, National Convention. Uh, Conrad Black has an article uh, series again in the National Post. Uh, and uh, these are all people who have, well, except for Bill Clinton, they've gone to jail 
for. And I don't know the truth or falsehood of it, but the, I mean, just taking the general way of looking at things, it doesn't really seem to do any harm to have a very bad reputation. <laughs> it doesn't seem to do any harm at all. Uh, one of the um, psychiatrists who participated in the uh, fraudulent claims about uh, some of the drugs that have been used on kids, uh, you know, just got a multi-million dollar grant from the government, has faced no repercussions. So it really doesn't matter if you do bad things, sadly, in the current society. But that's a whole different situation, um, which we can sort of get into another time. So I would really be happy to push the limits of, of ostracism, right? So uh, if somebody uh, wanted to come and buy uh, a candy bar for me and it flashed up on my screen that this guy had failed to report repeated child rape that he'd witnessed, I might say, put that candy bar down and back out of my store, you scumbag. Right. Right. Maybe. Or maybe, you know, maybe some people wouldn't have a problem with it. But but the reality, I think ostracism can go a long way. And I would obviously like to see how far ostracism could go before we had to start pulling out the guns. But I think that if you witness, I mean, just to take an extreme example, if you witness child rape uh, from a man who has significant power and access, significant power over and access to children, then you damn well have to say something. Because you are then complicit in those in the continuance of those crimes, and those crimes could not continue in an ideal world without you saying something. Sorry, they can't continue if you say something. If you don't say something, the likely extreme likelihood is that they will then continue. So, yeah, I think you become an accomplice to the crime if you fail to report it. Now, that having been said, sorry to take up so much time. I'll make this really brief and then turn it back to you. But. Uh, at the moment, it's uh, horrible to report a crime, right? I mean, rape, rape victims go through, you know, horrible times, I think, in the statist court system. So clearly, in a free society, you want to encourage people to report by making it um, maybe cash positive, uh, pay, at least paying for, them for their time, uh, by um, making the process as easy as possible and as, as cheap as possible and as, as encouraging and as positive as possible, which, of course, there's no incentive for that in the existing system. But if you were to make the reporting of a crime much less onerous now, uh, sorry, in the future relative to now, I think that that problem would largely go away. Yeah. Um, I guess we, we're just, I'm just trying to come up with, you know, as far as a, a standard um, a perspective now obviously if if the thing goes away as not being an issue then that's great but um we we do kind of have to examine these types of things and, and you know give them no it's important yeah, yeah. it's very look there's no there's no point having morality if people don't act on it right so i mean there's there's no point having morality if people don't act on it and it doesn't you know like it doesn't matter whether you're found out or not or, or, you know, whether people discover whether you've acted badly. I mean, I mean, if you and I were walking along uh, the, the shore and we saw some kid out there who was drowning and there was nobody else, we would just say, well, there's nobody else here, so nobody will ever know I was here and just I'll keep walking. No, we would all jump in and try and save that, that kid from, from drowning. Assuming there uh, wasn't and, any uh, significant risk of death. Yeah, I mean, if he was in the middle of, I don't know, eight great white sharks we may we may hesitate or maybe not i don't know <laughs> but uh, uh it, it is yeah but but uh, so i think that if uh, if it becomes and, and look if if 
maybe the ra- I, I think the rape victim should get compensated for a successful prosecution. I mean, I'm not saying that then she would do it for money or whatever, but I mean, I think that would at least be something that would take some of the negative re- repercussions. But right now, you go through this process of years, you go get cross-examined, you have your entire past pulled into, you get called all kinds of horrible names, you get re-traumatized over and over again in the existing legal system. Oh, yeah, we, we, and at we the all end know. It, I guess you get, yeah, at the end of it, you get, I guess, the satisfaction of putting some guy away. Yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not justice. If you don't uh, try to make the victim whole... You're not trying to achieve justice. Yeah, and, and also, um, you know, it's not that the rapist gets better in prison, so then this guy's going to come out and, you know, eight years later or five years later or however long it's going to be, you got to start looking over your shoulder again because now there's somebody out there with a grudge who's fine. I mean, there's just all of these problems that discourage uh, this okay. kind of stuff at the moment. This doesn't count the Sandusky people, but, I mean, that's just I, – I would spend the rest of the show uh, spitting out teeth, sweat, and blood about the unbelievable – uh, Sandusky incident, so let's not <laughs> make that show about this. But those people, people. Face, had faced almost no negative repercussions. They would have all they would have had to do is sign an affidavit and testify. I think so. Anyway, that's that's another issue about so then, how children are not people. So then, when we uh, come back to the victim, then we could theoretically say that yes, they are committing a um, a crime by not testifying. However, there are mitigating circumstances such as trauma um, and. They're not committing a crime. I would say that they're accomplices in a crime. Oh, I mean, right. They're, they're, they're being accomplices and therefore have the potential of being punished through force. However, um, there are mitigating circumstances such as trauma, threats, um, and, and so on, right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay, great. Um, then on a similar UPB question, I, I don't know, it's not really similar. It's, it, I'm trying to, like, you know, analyze just... Un- the uh, unfortunate circumstances that occur in society that aren't exactly real easy, like don't hit, don't steal. Um, and uh, another one comes up, which is um, teasing or uh, bad-mouthing people, um, chiding. You mean like sort of slander or libel, that kind of stuff? Um, well, as far as I understand it, um, libel and slander are not actually against the rules it's just you you basically have developed a reputation for being a person who says stuff that's wrong well no i i don't i don't actually agree with that and there's some debate among libertarians about this question but uh, i i think that um if you if you say things that are false about people that cause them harm uh, i think that you are responsible for that you would call that fraud yeah, I mean, it's it's fraud and there's significant, right? So let's say that you are a competitor in, in a restaurant. Uh, you, some restaurant opens up across the street and then you get, uh, you, you write a bunch of fake reports about how you found dead rats and, and flies and mice in the food, yeah. which is not true, right? right? So you make that up. Well, that's theft. Um, yeah, there, there's a fairly long discussion about that and i'm not sure i would agree with you on that but i don't i don't know if that's necessarily what i'm well does um, it cause direct economic harm to another person um no only indirectly oh yes oh yes it does because people will not go to that restaurant because they don't want to eat dead rats only because they and and if that sorry and if that restaurant closes so if two people are in the same neighborhood and they do a little look up on whatever restaurant review site they like and they find out all about these dead rats 
they're going to probably go to the restaurant across the street. So this is a transfer of wealth from the restaurant you're lying about to your restaurant. And if that restaurant goes out of business, then you gain some monopoly rent-seeking, assuming that there aren't 12, 10 restaurants around. So it is a, um, an economic attack on the other person. It is depriving them of income, and it is adding to your own. Um, I know that there's um, an argument against that. I'm not really going to make that one. Um, I happen to believe it, but the, the question is... No, no, make, make the argument. I'm, I'm well, happy to hear it. That's not the subject that I'm really in, interested in. Um, I mean, if people want to like look into that, I think that there's a book called Defending the uh, Indefensible. Is I think that's what it's called. Um, yeah, I think Block is making an argument that, that you don't own the contents of other people's minds, and so if, if somebody says, you know, you're a whatever, a bad guy in Six Ways from Sunday... Um, Make that statement, but I think that um, to me, I think that uh, lies which have economic significance uh, are wrong. But you would have a reputation for being a person who speaks the truth, or people, a person who is anonymous. And if an anonymous person says they've got rats in that that uh, re- restaurant, no one's going to take it seriously because we've all heard that kind of stuff being uttered. We know it's bull. And then if you get a report from somebody who is a reliable resource who says that, then You've got this reputation built into that person, and thus you can trust it. Uh, is the perspective, and but really, all right. It, so let's say that let's say that I bribe a restaurant reviewer to say that. Then that's fraud. Okay, so it's the only difference is the credibility of the person. Um, I'm not sure uh, how that puts the U in the UPB yeah, thing. It's a really, it's a really, t- um, it's an oogie subject for me. I don't know it well enough to really discuss it on that level. That's not really what I was wanting, wanting to go over, though. Okay, we can we can skip that then. Okay, um, so let's say that we've got children who are, I don't know, teenagers who are saying things like, I don't know, you're a nerd or fatty, fatty, that kind of thing. Um, right. Things that may, may very well be true. Um, but they are causing the person yeah, to experience um, feelings of self-doubt and angst and so on. Now, if it, we if we had, let's say, a new technology where um, there is a ability to um, measure a person's uh, mental state, and we have the tracking that shows that this um, criticism and chiding and teasing and so on was empirically causing the person to change chemically to become suicidal, and that person then commits suicide. Are the people who were teasing and chiding now culpable? Well, uh, to me, there's there's two two situations there, and this is again just it's hard to confuse the present world with the world that is to come. So my, the first question would be, uh, are they children or adults? Uh, we're assuming that there's going to be different standards for both, but, um, you know, let's explore both. Okay, so, uh, so if, if there are a bunch of 10-year-olds uh-huh. and one of them is being teased and is, I mean, verbal abuse is, is as I think, been fairly well established to be worse than physical abuse uh, for the developing Mind, uh, and so that's something that that is important. It is it is harmful yeah. to to the developing mind. It's highly toxic. Words are highly toxic. You know that old thing: sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. 
completely. I mean, falser words were almost never spoken, right? I yeah. think that's that's just. I mean, this is not true. It's not true. And so, uh, but but to solve this kind of problem is um, is important. Uh, and to solve it, you would not look at the children, but you would look at the families. Well, yeah, we we definitely know that that children who are doing this, who are acting like this, in all likelihood, were abused as children. Yeah, I don't know if you've you've seen this this grandmother on the school bus video. Oh yeah, where yeah. these Ooh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I I only watched about ten or fifteen seconds of that it's because awful. it was it was it was absolutely unbearable. Where this grandmother who was a little tubby was you know being called fatty and and um, these to me just complete sociopaths around her. I don't know how old they were. Uh, they weren't little kids, but they weren't adults. Um, you know, we're basically saying, yeah, if we if we cut you open, cut you open with a knife. If I cut you open with a knife, McDonald's food is going to fall out. And just, I mean, just complete monstrous, yeah. monstrous statements. I mean, the likes Very of which, oh, unbelievable, unbelievable. And of course, what happens is naturally everybody unplugs the environment and just focuses on the children, which is all right. So, um. So you would look into, if a, if a child was being verbally abused, you would look into the families, right? Obviously, the school would have, if it was a school, the school would have to say, look, we have a no-bullying policy. And if we find bullying, then we will attempt to work it out with the parents. If the parents aren't willing to go get therapy, if the parents aren't willing to, to, to get help, then the kids have to leave the school. Yeah. Um, but then, I mean... How much can we hold the children themselves accountable? We, I mean, we really can't necessarily. But you, at some point, you have to take ownership of your own actions, even if there were... Yeah, it's a sliding scale, right? Infants, zero. 20-year-olds, maybe 100%. Uh, it's, you know, it slides up. It's a delicate balance, and it's different for, you know, for each kid, depending on intelligence and so on. But, um, I mean, obviously, you would have to, um, to, to talk to the kids as well, but they would be, in effect... Of, of the parenting. Yeah. So what do we do with the, uh, with, let's say, the adults, though? I mean, let's assume that, that we can't really go back in time and undo the bad parenting that created this negative person. Um, but we do now have the ability to see that, yes, these were, you know, it was the acts of um, ver- verbal torment that caused the person to commit suicide. Um, we know that that's the case. Well, adulthood is a little different now with the internet, right? Because before, if you had a, a negative group of friends, you could just go make new friends, right? Yeah. And the new friends would not really have any contact with the old friends. The old friends might still bitch about you, but so what, right? But, yeah. I mean, the, the difference of the internet, the difference with the internet, of course, is that... The the ostracism aspect for reputation doesn't work nearly as well over the internet, right? Um, because you could like we, before the internet, you just you ditch your old friends, make some new friends, and right, you, you've you've moved on, right? Well, I but mean, if you you have a bunch of negative old friends, you ditch them and you get some new friends. Your old friends can still keep posting horrible stuff about you on the internet, and it's not true and all that, right? So it doesn't just change in the way that it used to before uh, before the internet. I guess that's kind of dodging the question, though. I mean, here's let's say let's take 
uh, potential situation. As, as far as the internet, internet goes, we both know that there's not... Sorry, sorry. No, let me go back, because I don't think it's dodging the question. Because in the first situation, the children have less avoidability because they're in school, right? Right. Well, they're, they're, but So, sorry, let me just say, so with people posting stuff about you or me or whatever on the internet, there's less avoidability than there used to be because of the internet, right? But we do know the reason why that's the case is because there's not free, there's not a free market on the internet exactly, and if there were, then you would have um, new Facebooks you know showing up all the time that would you know allow for um, ignoring in the right way. So it, the technology would you know, certainly exist to um, Exclude those people from your life and make friends and, and interact without having no, that problem. No, you cannot exclude those people from your life because if you go to a new job and somebody Googles you, right? Oh, I see, I see. Good point. You cannot exclude. That's what I mean. The avoidability, you know, if, if worse came to where you live in some small town, everyone turns against you, you just move to a new town, right? But that's not the case in the digital universe, right? The, the avoidability issue has been circumvented by the universality of the media. I agree. Okay, I get I get where you're coming from. So, as far as let's say we've got um, this, you know, berating negative, abusive people on the internet, who um, through a new technology that shows brainwave activity, and we know that yeah, somebody's being harmed by slander or, or lies on the internet. Okay, well, not necessarily lies, just negative comments. Um, they could be well, no, sorry, but the lying oh, aspect is important, right? Sorry, the lying aspect is important. Well, let's assume that I mean, they're not lying, though. No, but, but then telling the truth is never a problem. Um, right? The, uh, the ultimate defense against slander is, is it true? Right? So if somebody's a murderer and I say they're a murderer and it's true, then I can't be sued for slander. Right. Well, I got that. Um, I'm not talking about slander. That's the point. I'm talking about... Okay. Um, Let's say somebody is obese and um, comments. And somebody they, says they're really fat. And not just that, but, you know, like what you saw with the, the, the woman on the bus, that kind of negative. Well, abuse. sorry, but the difference with the, the difference with the woman on the bus was they were making physical threats to end her life. Well, let's. I mean, if, if they call her the fatty. Weren't that, though. A lot of the comments were just, you know. She's so fat, blah, blah. So right. they're not necessarily threats. And the, when you get to escalate to the point of threats, that's a different concept than what, what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I, look, I personally, I think as an adult, I don't think that you can, if, if you're obese and somebody says, you know, you're so fat that when you sit around the house, you sit around the house. Uh, I don't think that you, I mean, I don't think that you can <laughs> do much about that. It's a, it's 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 a joke. It's a factual statement. It's a joke. I mean, comedians, of course, do this kind of stuff yeah. all the time, and um, uh, and so I don't think that you can. If somebody is saying a factual statement, then I think that's not too bad. And the other thing too is that it can be hurtful to be called fat if you're fat, but it may not necessarily be that that pain is bad. I mean, not everything that hurts is bad, right? Exercise sometimes hurts. Uh, dieting can be very uncomfortable. That's not bad, right? Experiencing so, the pain and frustration that your competitor has taken your, your 
business, you know, taking your customers from you causes you to innovate and do better at your job. Oh, yeah. No, no question. And, yeah. and if somebody is mocking you for being fat, if you are in fact fat, that might be a good incentive for you to not, to not be fat anymore, <laughs> to, to work at, at losing weight or whatever, right? But the question then still exists, though, it is if we do know that the, the person who has committed suicide did so as a direct result of the constant uh, fat jokes that they were hearing in, online or at the office or whatever, is there a, a recourse for the family of that victim or that suicide person against the I yeah, I um, I mean, to me, that's uh, that's that's a very tough. Um, I mean, there would be a couple of questions I would have. You know, why? I mean, not every obese person gets mercilessly mocked online, right? So there's probably some. There's more to it than just being obese. I yeah. think that would be an important uh, important question. The other is, where was the support system for this person as they began to get more and more unhappy? Right. Yeah. I mean, the defense against hostility is the love of people who are close to you. Agreed. And so uh, if somebody is becoming very unhappy and, you know, suicidal or whatever, then friends and family should be, should be with that person, should be talking to that person and so on, um, should unplug their mod- modem <laughs> or their router or whatever, and should be uh, t- taking care of that person. Yeah. So I don't think that, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think, and the other thing too, of course, is that this kind of causality is not going to be very precise, right? It could be. I don't I mean, know, but, you know. We, yeah, we, maybe we at some point it. in the future. Yeah, but of course, at some point in the future, sorry, at some point in the future, if you're testing someone and you see that they're getting sadder and sadder or whatever, uh, then you would take preventive action, right? That That person, in order for the causality to be established, that person would have to be, recognized as being in a high-risk category already? Yeah. In which case, the, 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 uh, uh, the, the responsibility for helping them with their m- mental health problems or whatever you want to call them would fall to whoever's testing them, to the family, to the friends, you know, all these kinds of things. So, um... so if I'm the doctor testing someone and they're like, oh my God, you, you've got a big D in the middle of your brain, you're depressed. Whatever yeah. I don't know what what it would be. Yeah, well, then it's it's my job. Yeah, it's it's my job as the mental health professional to then get to get that person into help, right? But so, so we we basically say that there is no um, it, that it would be just aesthetically negative to be a person who insults other people. That's all it is. Well, insults insults is kind of a loaded word, right? So if somebody is is fat and I call them fat, that's not an insult. It's a statement of fact, right? Right, but you know, when they're saying you're so fat, you have to throw a boomerang. You know, you have to put your belt on with a boomerang. That's <laughs> actually kind of funny. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't say that. It is a little funny. Um, well, um, I do, I don't see how that statement would cause someone to commit suicide. Well, it, you know, it's it's an amount. You know, it's a compilation of of a lot of those things happening. In a, short enough period of time but 
the, that cruel. Well, look, either, look I, I, I think we've milked this topic to death. I mean, e- either this is predictable, in which case whoever predicts it bears the responsibility, or it's not predictable, in which case we're not talking about anything that can be avoided anyway. So it's not but too the relevant. The actors are, themselves are not necessarily particularly culpable. All they are is just guilty of doing aesthetically negative things. Yeah, I think that um, you're making jokes about fat people is not that great. You know, I mean, I think it's probably better to talk to them about their childhoods, their histories, their experiences, their whatever, right? Yeah. But, um, but at the same time, Don Rickles can be kind of funny. So I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I don't think that, that this would be form, fall into the realm of, of, of um, uh, UPB. Uh, I think it certainly would be aesthetically preferable to avoid from this kind of mockery, but I don't see how there could be any moral culpability in that. Okay. Well, um, so as far as the two topics that uh, we've gotten to the end of where they are, I think that uh, we, I think we've got a consensus about them. I, I appreciate your uh, um, your insights, and um, I appreciate you discussing them with me. All right, thank you very much. Very interesting questions. All right, let's move on. Oh, it's so good to be back. All right, uh, Jeremy, can we hear you? Hey, can you guys hear me? Yes. Hey, this awesome. time. <laughs> um, well, I had a question just kind of on the general philosophy of, of gender roles. And just as a little background to the question, I come from like a divorced family. So I don't have kind of some of these stable ideas and I'm moving into a, a long-term relationship. And so these ideas, uh, society now is really kind of crashing most gender roles, you know, and I understand on a, a a deeper level that a lot of what's old fashioned and most gender roles are kind of bullshit. So I just wanted to maybe hear you talk on it a little bit. Well, I think that there are gender roles that are social. I mean, this is nothing particularly innovative, but there are gender roles that are social and there are gender roles that are biological. There's not much we can do about the biological ones, but there's stuff that we can do about the social ones. So biologically, uh, women have babies. And when women have babies, they're kind of disabled for a while. And ideally, I believe the science is fairly clear on this. They should be breastfeeding for a year to two uh, or maybe more. I don't know where the final data is, but it's better for the children to be breastfeeding. And when they are breastfeeding, particularly in the early months, they're breastfeeding every couple of hours. So they are pretty dazed milk machines of infinite maternal love. So, uh, and if so, if you want a couple of kids, it kind of knocks women out of the equation as far as, um, uh, you know, working uh, for, you know, three, three to five years, let's say. Uh, so that's, that's, a, that's a biological fact. Uh, it's not the fault of the patriarchy that women carry the fetus and have the milk ducts. That's not any man's fault unless you count God as a man, in which case you can take it up with him. So I think that gender roles, if you don't want to have kids, I don't think there's any fundamental difference. And the marketplace tends to agree with this opinion in that college-educated women who have been in the workforce for the same amount of time as men earn, I think, 95 or 96% of what men do so Obviously, still a couple of percentage points off, but, you know, you always hear the statistic, women earn 60% of 70% of what men, but this is all just made up nonsense. But um, uh, so if you don't want to have kids, then you can live like a man because that 
having kids thing doesn't have that much effect. I guess this is where I have some questions just because I understand that like, um, you know, and that is what the market shows is that gender roles don't matter that much. But I know on a scientific uh, aspect that there's a lot of difference between the emotions uh, and the way men and women generally prefer to be treated based on their natural differences. Now, I know everybody's, you know, epigenetically or they, you know, they differ. We're not all the same. So it's hard to just classify male behavior and female behavior. Yeah, look, I mean, I had Dr. Cordelia Fine, who wrote the book Delusions of Gender on the show about two years ago. And uh, it's a great book to read. Uh, She really rips into this men and women's brains are so different kind of thing. Uh, There really doesn't seem to be much that stands up to any kind of close scrutiny. Uh, So, uh, look, I will certainly agree with you that men and women uh, approach the world in, in some different ways, whether that's, you know, the whole genetic thing seems to be crumbling because of epigenetics and neuroplasticity. Epigenetics, of course, is that your genes are switched on and off by environments, so there's no such thing as a fixed gene pool that we come from. And neuroplasticity is the brain's capacity to rewire and readapt itself uh, as, you, as you grow, as you grow older and as you age. So I think it's, it's really tough to figure out what is innate and what is environmental. I, I just generally err, I err on the side of environmentalism at all times, at all times, um, just because uh, we haven't found the significant limit to epigenetics. And if you sort of imagine a child born in some backhouse cave mountain in Afghanistan, uh, you know, one of 10 kids of a completely uneducated Islamic family uh, who never, ever sees anything that has electricity in it, never comes down from the mountain, spends his whole life herding sheep and praying five times a day, and then compare that to exactly the same boy raised in a Western, well-educated, atheist family, uh, you will end up with a completely different human being. Completely different human being. It would be far more different than any male-female differences. So uh, I err on the side of environment at all times. Okay. What, what was the name of that book again? This is, this is great. Uh, it's called I've, Delusions. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I've had kind of the same observation. I'm just in a, a flux in between. You know, I know that there is some behavior that females exhibit or that males exhibit that is very unique to the gender but at the same time environment just is is huge yeah and it's called delusions of gender and she basically went to all of the source data that she could find for the most famous studies of the differences between the genders and found that the the science and the sample sizes and all of that were not let's say, the highest quality imaginable, to say the least. So you might want to you might want to check that out. Now, I believe, you know, purely idiot amateur internet speculation time, as always, but I believe that a woman who wants to have children is going to have a different mindset to a man who wants to have children. And I think that this has evolved this way. Uh, I think the welfare state has preyed on this to some degree, but nonetheless. So a woman who wants to have children is going to be incapacitated, economically speaking, for quite some time. For quite some time. I mean, my daughter's three and a half now, and I've been a full-time dad since she was born, I guess before she was born, and 
I'm only now able to get maybe 15 or 20 minutes a day where I can do some work if she's up and around. Like I can not concentrate. I can read a book or an article or like I can't record anything or whatever. But And, and that's three and a half years. Now, of course, if we had more kids, that would only go further back. Uh, too. So, I, you know, I couldn't work at all when she was awake uh, until uh, – and it's only started over the last maybe month or two. Of course, this has been at exactly the same time as she's lost her nap. She just doesn't nap anymore during the day. And so the two hours I used to get, I don't get. So, but, so I mean, I'm, I'm very aware of the degree to which having children is something that you cannot, if you're really going to take care of them, be home, take care of them. You really can't have a job at the same time. So, of course, a woman wants somebody who can bring her resources when she is providing resources to the children because she can't go out and get her own resources, <laughs> you know, food, shelter, money, whatever you call it. And, uh, and this is why uh, a woman who is wise uh, will pick a man who is uh, some economic stability, some level of commitment, some emotional maturity, some capacity for attachment and love and all these kinds of good things. And that's what the woman needs to be uh, a successful a parent because she's breastfeeding. If it wasn't for the breastfeeding thing, you know, after the couple of months of recovery from, from giving birth, it would pretty much even out, but the breastfeeding thing is, is different. So um, that's from the woman's side. And because the woman needs other people, uh, specifically the husband, but really it's, it's a community thing. You need a lot of people to help you raise kids. She's going to be more interested in uh, less interested in looks, more interested in economic stability. She's going to be more interested in relationships and less ambitious, uh, all these kinds of things. And this is not to say that, you know, as um, uh, Lorette Lim was saying the other day uh, when we talked about her book, you can, have, you can have kids in your 20s and you can go get your PhD uh, when you're 40 or whatever. I mean, that's all fine. But during the time of having kids, uh, that's the, and and you might want to um, I just uh, I just finished a book by Phyllis Phyllis Schlafly <laughs> Phyllis Schlafly. Let me just get the spelling of that. I can never get that right. Yeah, I was going to say if you don't mind typing that one. Yeah, uh, it's um, Phyllis F uh, P H Y L L I S S C H L A F L Y. Uh, she, I mean, she's just by the by. Uh, she's really quite uh, quite an amazing woman. And it tells you a lot about society, not to mention feminism, that you've – have you ever heard of her before? Um, no. No, I Amazing. I mean, she's an amazing, amazing person. Um, gosh, where do you even start? Uh, she went to um, an Ivy League school, I think in the 40s. She was one of the first women allowed in. Uh, she wrote a book, uh, choice, A Choice Not an Echo, that sold millions of copies – uh, she single-handedly spearheaded the uh, movement to prevent the passage of the uh, e um, Equal Rights Act uh, in the 1970s. Uh, she raised six children um, who've become, you know, they've become very successful. And uh, she was also, she wrote a lot and um, was, uh, uh, she worked in, in political campaigns and she was um, criticized for having opinions on uh, the legal uh, on, on legal matters while not being a lawyer. So then in her 50s, she just went and became a lawyer. She went <laughs> just became a lawyer. I mean, she's really quite an amazing uh, woman and um, uh, has been quite influential and, and is very critical of um, a lot of uh, modern feminism. And, uh, you know, I, I've absorbed so much feminism through just college and, and uh, culture that I find 
But just as I really enjoy, I really enjoy reading criticisms of um, evolution. I just love to see where, where people are coming from. I've learned a lot from people who've been highly critical of me. It's just fantastic. But yeah, she's written like 21 books, everything from childcare to phonics education. She's been writing a syndicated weekly newspaper column since, I think, the New Testament. <laughs> so it's, um, she's really been uh, quite, um, uh, quite a, a powerhouse in American politics and thought. And um, uh, she, she writes a lot about um, uh, this, uh, the, 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 the sadness, of course, that's happened when women have tried to have everything and have ended up being discontented with just about everything. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that there are some gender roles that come out of if you want to have kids. And I think those gender roles have some practical and evolutionary utility. And I also think that um, uh, that the other stuff around innate brain differences seems to be very shaky at best. And I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't well, notice any particular was... difference. My, you know, my daughter, my daughter yesterday, uh, we, we bought her a bucket of worms. We were down at a lake right. and she spent, you know, half the day putting worms on her legs and being completely fascinated with that. I mean, um, she, she's never been into um, uh, dolls particularly. She likes trains and cars and dinosaurs, but she also really likes pretty dresses. I mean, it seems to me it's just a nice wide spectrum and, and sort of that's what I would, would hope. I've studiously avoided trying to give her any well, that's what boys do, and that's what girls do, and so on. And so, uh, I, you know, this this is a, obviously well, completely unscientific, but it's an important sample of one for me. Well, that's why I was I, I kind of brought it up as I was raised in that traditional. This is what boys do. This is what girls do. And I, and since I didn't have uh, kind of that stable background, I'm I'm not able to draw from experience what are the positive and what are the negative in that. Um, so I thought. A lot of what you said uh, was very helpful. I'm going to look into those books. Uh, yeah, thanks. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Uh, let me just see if I can dig up the book that I just finished from Phyllis Schlafly. Phyllis Schlafly, I heard about um, some time back, but I was reminded uh, um, uh, Ann Coulter is a big fan of hers. Schlafly. Let me just see if I can find the book. And, and also <laughs> being... Um, being younger as well and kind of getting into a, a relationship and, and not being at the, the point where I'm, I'm thinking about children right now. I think this stuff is, is good to know that way. You know, I don't, right. I don't put any of this uh, societal crap in where it doesn't need to go. Right. Uh, okay. The book, I, I, I've only read one book of hers. It's called feminist fantasies. And she's also a, 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 what I would consider a significant expert on military matters. And um, she has a blistering series of chapters on the shame of putting women in the front lines in the military. Uh, and um, anyway, I just think it's, it's, it's a fascinating perspective. I mean, I always love getting new perspectives. And uh, so um, that's available. Uh, I'm a big fan, of course, of um, audible.com. I've been a member for like, I don't know, six or seven years maybe more, eight years. And uh, it's available on audible.com. Uh, and I would just, uh, I would really recommend it. It's, it's, I just, it's a, I love a well-rounded perspective for me, at least. Uh, I'm not always able to achieve it. Uh, global warming, I'm still struggling with. But um, uh, it is, uh, I would recommend it. Also, you know, since I'm in pitch mode, I just wanted to mention, again, I get, I get no financial consideration from these companies. They don't even know about me. But I'm telling you, if you do lots of work on a computer, 
uh, a new a new version of Dragon has come out. I'm actually Dragon naturally speaking is voice dictation software for PCs and Macs. They also have a version for the um, I, uh, iPad as well. It's not as good, but yeah, I just I mean just go buy it. Just go buy it. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. I mean I've I've written all my books using this. Uh, I compose just about everything using this. Um, once you get used to it and get it trained it's almost completely accurate it's incredibly good for your mental processes to think fast people say well how can you speak so well it's because i've been speaking my thoughts using dragon for over 10 years so i just wanted to recommend you can go to nuance n-u-a-n-c-e.com go to nuance.com pick up a copy i think it's 99 bucks and uh, it's probably one of the best investments you'll ever make if you work on a computer a lot you can set up shortcuts uh, so you just say one like one little phrase and it will type a whole sentence for you if you do repetitive kind of work that way it's uh anyway just wanted to mention it's it's, a, it's an incredible productivity tool it's the best i've seen it certainly beats the ones i think that are built into windows but i just wanted to mention that because i like to share the goodness okay so we're gonna move on to the next caller all right uh if we can do it we have two more people or two more newbies we have another person that's also on the line um right. jay you're up next Oh, we're down to initials. Jay, it's S. How are you? If you can find your microphone and unmute yourself. Uh, if not, oh, hello. Heard a crackle. I think he just faxed us. Mm, seems that uh, we're not hearing you. Well, maybe we can get that figured out. We can move on to the next caller. Joseph? Hello? Hello. Hello. Um, um, yeah, so I just have some questions about really about universal preferred behavior. Um, I haven't gotten to your book yet. I'm sure I'll get to it eventually, but I've been, uh, been uh, stuck with the head right now. <laughs> well, with that compliment, I'm all ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been... Uh, I have to uh, grout my bathroom. I have to do my nails. Uh, I have some old episodes of CSI to catch up on, but by the time I'm 70, I'm sure I can write your book. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Just kidding, go ahead. It all is all oh. about, I mean, I've. it almost sounds similar to the categorical imperative, um, Kant's whole thing. So I was just curious if you could um, elaborate a bit on it. I'm sorry, I just missed the first part of your question, if you could repeat it. Uh, I was just curious if you could elaborate a little bit more on what universally preferable behavior is what part of the which part of the three words do you want explanation of universally we understand right yes yes um I guess. all people all times all places yes. and so on uh, uh, preferable means obviously the act of choosing one over one thing over another where the capacity for choice exists and behavior is the argument that ethics there's no thought crime that ethics can really only judge behavior not an idea or a thought. Does that sort of make any sense? Um, I think so. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, but... Um, let's see where was I going with this. Um, well, I, I'll give you another sentence or two. So, yeah. would you agree with me that um, theories have to be rationally consistent to at least have a shot at being true? Yes. Okay, so um, if you're going to make a statement about ethics, which is universally preferable behavior, like so, stuff which is, you know, I like ice cream is not, you know, it's not ethics and whatever, right? You should be on time is politeness, not good and evil and so on. And this is sort of all explained in the book. 
But uh, so if if theories have to be logically consistent, and we accept that ethics is universally preferable behavior stuff, which is uni- not universally preferred, like people already prefer it, but they should prefer it, then um, any statements about ethics have to be rationally consistent. They have to not contradict themselves right off the bat if they're going to have a chance. And hopefully, you know, I think that there would be some empirical evidence for particular ethical theories as well. So Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a theory that says that human beings should respect property rights, it is universally preferable behavior to respect property rights, then generally you would say that societies which respect property rights will do better materially uh, and socially than societies that violate property rights. In other words, a free market would be more economically productive than communism. Yes. Uh, so uh, so it's it's same as science. You've got to have logical consistency within your theory. And then if that's if the logical consistency is there, it has the chance to be true. And if empirical evidence validates it, then it's, you know, it's in the realm of of truth. And so that's uh, that's the argument. And so the modern example would be if you have something which is evil for a private citizen called counterfeiting, but is virtuous for a government or a central bank called controlling the money supply or <laughs> whatever it is, yeah. then you have a violation of universality and that some people, for some people it's evil and for some people it's good. And the more that is expressed, the more that is in society, the more that is enacted, the worse you would expect society to get. And so you could really see, you know, based on sort of current North American and European crises that allowing a monopoly of counterfeiting uh, and banning it for the majority produces a very corrupt and, and destructive, debt-ridden, uh, deficit-laden, and unfunded liabilities up the yin-yang kind of system. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's the basic argument that if you're going to make a rule... Now, it's a little different for, than the categorical imperative because the, categor- the categor- categorical imperative... I don't know why I can't say that. <laughs> there should be no reason why. I cannot... I can say uh, lots of big words. The categorical imperative... Let me not try and say it too fast and that will help. Uh, the categorical imperative has to do with personal preferences. In other words, um, you should act as if your act becomes a rule that is applied to everyone. Uh, well, if I like to get hit because I'm a masochist, that is obviously not a rule that could be universalized for everyone. If I am the strongest man in the village and I say the strongest man should be the boss, I'm willing to have that universalized, although because it will benefit me. Uh, you know, if I say the boldest guy in my house should be the boss, well, I'm the only guy and the only, yeah. so, so uh, there's an element to me of personal preference and subjectivity that doesn't pass an ethical test that I would consider valid. Right. Uh, and, uh, UPB is, is not, not quite the same way that way. Okay. I was just saying, sorry, the other thing too, I mean, the, the objectivist thing, you know, that which is good and, and Aquinas talks about this too, that which is good and necessary for man is the good. Bah, who cares? I mean, that's just all nonsense to me. Uh, and I have a huge amount of respect for Rand and to some degree for Aquinas, but um, that which is good for man, I mean, what the hell does that mean? I mean, it's like we don't all have the same interests, right? I mean, <laughs> political power is really good for Barack Obama. He wants yeah. to go back for more in November, <laughs> yeah. right? So he loves it. Uh, he loves political power. Uh, I assume that the people who stay in the military love the military. Uh, and so that which is good for man's survival, I mean, geez, do you think Barack Obama would be this wealthy in a free society or this powerful in a free society? Of course not. George Bush, come on. Right. So um, that which is good, I mean, this is a great system 
for them. They love the system. They'll mm-hmm. do anything to keep the system. Uh, so I just think that's, you know, anything which brings subjectivity into it. So you can analogize it to science, right? So uh, in science, you, you know, or mathematics you know, or engineering, your, your propositions, your theories, your hypotheses, they have to be logically consistent, right? You can't say that um, in the first page, two and two make four, but in the second page, they need to make five. And in the third page, they need to make a, a leprechaun riding a unicorn. People would just say, well, I don't care what's on the fourth page because you kind of lost me on page two. This is all right. It has to be logical and consistent. And then, of course, it needs to apply. It conforms to the evidence. Uh, and it's the same thing with ethical theories. They have to be logical and consistent. And when you run the requirement for logical consistency for ethical theories through UPB, lo and behold, you get Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit rape, thou shalt not assault, and thou shalt not murder. Uh, and again, I won't go into all the proofs for this because they're all in the book. But it does validate our most commonly held ethical beliefs, which I think is good. We have good ethical instincts, like you can catch a ball even if you don't know the equations behind gravity and balls and frictions and so on. And so it does validate, but unfortunately it, it invalidates our social system almost completely because you can't have a government and you cannot have religiosity and all these kinds of things. That comes out of the UPB uh, scenario. And so it validates our personal ethics, but it, uh, it eviscerates our social ethics, which I think is actually conforms with evidence very well. So I hope that gives you a, a sort of quick overview and will tease you into perhaps uh, taking the book for a spin. It's available free in audiobook and so on if you want to slap it on just when you're heading out somewhere. Okay. All right. Uh, well, I think that should be it. So thank you very much. You're welcome. And let's see if we have Jay back. Uh, I was getting, we were getting static from him, so I had to drop him. Um, but uh, we do have time for Wayne, if you want to share a few thoughts. Hey, here we go. Okay, uh, Steph, Wayne. you had stated that the United States of America is basically trying to export its version of democracy, law and order, and government to other nations, but it should be taking care of what's going on in its own backyard first, like the murder rate in Washington, for example. Let me correct you, okay. <laughs> because uh, I don't think the United States should be doing that, but that's what they claim, right? So the United States claims that it can make uh, a much better society in Afghanistan and in Iraq, Iraq right? I mean, that's the basic claim. We're going to mm-hmm. get rid of the regime. Yeah. We're going to put uh, something better in its place. I don't think the government, sh- I don't think the United States should be doing that, um, but that's what their claim is. My argument is, well, if you all know how to build a great society, why don't you at least stop the... Washington schools from producing a ridiculously high dropout rate, and why don't you stop uh, your drugs and, and crime and all of that in your own neighborhoods? Well, they can't, of course, right? And so if you can't solve the problem, if, if, if Congress can't solve the problems in Washington, D.C., where there's just unbelievable social problems, poverty, bad education, ghettos, and so on, then what the hell makes them think that they can do it over in Afghanistan? That's sort of, just want to mention that sort of. Yeah, to uh, paraphrase, minor, minor clean up your own backyard before you complain about mine yeah or you know as jesus would say uh, why do you worry about the beam in your brother's eye sorry why do you worry about the moat in your brother's eye when you have a beam in your own right because i was wondering why you're so worried about the u.s when you're right here in canada we got enough problems of our own why am i just worried about playing, the u.s just kind of playing yeah, yeah, yeah it's fine. There. i know that living next to the u.s like we are, is kind of like sleeping with an elephant. No matter how subtle the movements are there, you feel it no matter what happens. 
Yeah, I mean, if you live on Mercury, you kind of care how hot the sun is, right? Uh, exactly. 80% of Canada's trade is with the U.S. Now, that's a couple of years old, that statistic. I think we've shifted some to, uh, to um, China um, because it's important to go from one sinking ship to a nearly sinking ship. But um, uh, I, I mean, the reason, Chinese of course, is I, I have... Failing. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's significant cracks in the wall. You know, I was, um, when I was at Freedom Fest, it was very interesting. I mean, I've been going to libertarian conferences since I was in my teens. Um, obviously, there was a long time where I didn't, but certainly over the last Pork couple of years. Fest. Yeah, right. I didn't see a barbecue anywhere. Uh, you were at Porkfest? No. <laughs> oh, okay. And the pictures and everything from it. I haven't seen a barbecue anywhere. Some Porkfest that is. All right. But... but um, uh, Sorry, but let me just sort of say, so when I was in uh, Freedom Fest, uh, a couple of things. First of all, like 20 people come up to me saying how this show uh, and the experts and my arguments had convinced them to stop hitting their children. Oh, that makes me just walk on air. They were no longer hitting their children. They were negotiating with them. They were no longer punishing their children, no longer yelling at their children. They'd really made that commitment. They'd apologized to their children, uh, and they said things were going just fantastically. Like 20 people over the course well, of a couple of days literally came up, and I just wanted to say that's fantastic, and that means every, everything else. Got, you could get rid of. Someday yeah, when that, we've that, got it, more time, I should tell you about the uh, 60 children between the ages of 9 and 14 that I played a large part in keeping them alive in Bosnia. We but should certainly talk about that. We will digress day. about that. Um, yeah, like, I mean, my, I think this show, based upon sort of emails and conversations, sorry, let me just finish up my thought. Uh, yeah. This show has tens of tens of thousands of families, I believe, have stopped hitting their children and stopped yelling at their children as a result of this show. At least that's according to some very rough calculations. So I just wanted to mention that because this is a huge uh, effect in the world, a massive effect in the world. And, um, uh, and But the other thing that happened at Freedom Fest was people were coming up uh, and, you know, I was chatting with them and saying, oh, have you been here before? Yes. So no. would you come back next year and so on? And probably about half the people I was talking to basically said, "Ooh, I don't know. Like, I don't really know where the U.S. is going to be next year. I'm not really making plans that far. And I've never heard that before at the libertarian conferences. This sense of imminent doom was pretty hard to escape. I mean, I report that not because I have any claim to knowledge about it, but just as a kind of an interesting tidbit to to chew over that for the first time i really did get a strong sense that people were not expecting things to continue uh, even for another year so i just wanted to mention that but uh, sorry you had a question or a comment the more important question i was thinking about and it goes hand in hand with uh something another caller was talking about when uh and i was going to make it more pointed and actually make it almost personal for you by saying, in 12 years, you come home one evening to find your daughter has been date-raped. Now, of course, you obviously should report it, but with you not exactly favoring the, as you put it, men in blue costumes, who do you report it to? Well, I'm going to duck out of that one because <laughs> if, if, no, look, if, if my theories of parenting are correct, then she's not going to be in that situation. You know, there are some guys who get into fights every weekend. I have never been in a fist fight my entire life. Um, it's not that hard to avoid them, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, I, I'm, I've never been arrested. Uh, I've never been in jail. I've never, whatever, right? I've never even had a speeding ticket. 
So it's not that hard to avoid these these kinds of situations. So I'm going to actually just have to get a kind of beg off that because, you know, I mean, that's not something that I anticipate uh, is is going to be uh, occurring. I mean, the great thing about raising my daughter with this level of respect and equality is that she's just not going to engage with people or be a part of people's lives who don't treat her in this way. It's just not not going to be the case. Yeah, well, we can even remove that from being the personal matter. And, you know, one, a father comes home to find his daughter has been either date raped or just plain raped. Now, finding fault with the people in the blue costumes, who do you call? Well, I, I would say you call the people in the blue costumes. I mean, this is what you've got. I mean, this is all that you have. The, the main other, other solutions are, are not present. Okay, so you're kind of saying because we're stuck with the existing system for the moment, uh, you're going to kind of have to play ball with them. Well, you don't have to. I mean, no you can do whatever you want. But I do think it. that there's no, other, there's no other mechanism that I know of in society to help prevent further criminality on the part of a date raper. And you know what? I mean, the, the date thing is, I mean, a rapist. I don't think there's any massive or fundamental difference. Again, I'm no expert on it, but uh, I, let's just say a rapist. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there's, there's no other way to get somebody off the street who's a rapist. And as far as I understand it, rapists kind of tend to do it again. And so, yeah, you gotta you got to work with what you got to work with. Yeah, it's once they work through their first, the first stigma... You know, after the first one, the rest of them are easy. That kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know, but but I think that uh, you work with uh, you work with what you have. Okay, so I guess I was misunderstanding some of what you were saying about the men in the blue costumes. I thought you were. I was trying to wrap my head around the idea of how do you have a law-abiding society without some form of law enforcement. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, there is no such thing as law enforcement at the moment um, in, in any particular way, right? I mean, no, no bankers are going to jail, right? Uh, for, no, and and no, a, no central bankers also, are going to jail. There's also very little uh, public protection happening as uh, one court in Toronto actually advised us that the police are in no way responsible to protect anyone from anything. No, that's true. Uh, and, uh, the police have no legal responsibility to protect you from anything. And so this is why prevention is, is better than cure. And, and if you want time, your you kids to not, not be in violence. to defend yourself. Well, I don't know about that. I think there is some self-defense that's possible in, in Canada. Again, I'm no expert, but I don't think it's quite, it's quite that bad. But, um, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the key thing is, is to not get into these into these kinds of situations. Um, and, uh, you know, Ian Thomas, the fellow from Port Colburn, whose house was being firebombed and he's still fighting in court because he defended himself. Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't know anything about footage. that. Shit. Yeah. I, mean, it's, I don't it's a uh, real slippery slope. They've got him on. But, right. And uh, the, the key thing is to just try and try and avoid those kinds of situations. Again, I don't know anything about that case, but uh, philosophy is really about prevention. You know, I, 
not not cure. You know, it's like a nutritionist. A nutritionist isn't going to help you when you're having a heart attack, but 20 years beforehand can probably say something useful to, to help you out as far as that goes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you want your kids not have- to get into these kinds of situations, then if you raise them as peacefully as possible, then they just won't. Yeah, we do have to deal with the situation we've got directly in front of us, though. I mean, it's hard to say we are going to, look, don't do this because you might break a leg, you know, like, but, uh, you know, you're just going to have to endure that bullet wound for the time being. Um, Yeah, that doesn't really work. Treat the situation that's right in front of you. But, uh, No, sorry, if you don't have another question, I'm I'm not sure if we have another caller, but we just... Sorry, anyway, go ahead. Yep, might, as, might as well move on to the next guy because I seem to have mental gapped and forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for your call. So I uh, thank you everybody so much. I just, you know, I know I, I thank you a lot, but boy, oh boy, is it heartfelt. Um, I feel, I mean, very privileged, uh, literally honored to be able to go and represent philosophy, this community, you name it. That's because of the generosity of people who donate time, energy, and money to uh, to this show, to what it is that we're talking about here. Uh, so if you've sent in some, some bucks, if you've donated some time, if you've promoted the website, if you've sent some videos around, you name it. Well, I just really, really wanted to tell you how much I appreciate it. I have, of course, a lot more <laughs> speaking to do this year. Uh, it's been quite a, uh, uh, a lot of speaking, but there's going to be even more to go. And this is only possible because of the support that you all have given the show. So thank you a million fold so much to everyone for helping out and spreading this conversation. You know, one day last month, we had 150,000 downloads and views. Uh, That's really quite something. (laughs) And that is really quite amazing. If we keep this up, there really is no limit. Uh, Think of, you know, 40 to 50 million probably now downloads and views just of the books, the podcasts, and the videos. Um, This would be counting all of the external sites that have embedded and shown things that I don't have control over. That's quite a supernova of reason and evidence in the Borg brain. And I think we can be incredibly proud with what we've achieved here as a community. I certainly am. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful week. Freedomainradio.com forward slash donate if you want to. And it's all massively appreciated. I will talk to you guys soon.